Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 224. This episode is with Liam Connor. Liam is, Liam is a sports scientist at Val Performance, but also lead S&C coach at the EIS. Liam came on and we discussed some of the common questions he gets asked around the Valve kit from practitioners at clubs. We spoke about what tests to use, how to use the data from the test, how often to test, and also the difference between performance and rehab testing as well. So loads of great topics covered in this podcast with Liam. Just before we get into the episode, I want to say a huge thank you to everybody that came out to our event at Huddersfield Town. The presentations from the event are going to be available on our community very soon. So if you were at the event, obviously you'd have seen them, but you'd be able to watch the presentations back. If you weren't able to make it to the event, the good news is that the presentations will be available on the community very soon. So make sure you go and check those out along with all the other presentations and webinars that are already available over on the platform. We do have some events upcoming over the next few weeks and months as well. So the next event is going to be on the 15th of February. That is at Goodenson Park, Everton. We've got two pres uh, presenters on that event. We've got Dr. Mark Hulse, who's Academy of Leeds Strength and Conditioning Coach at Everton, and also Luke Benstead, who's First Team Assistant Coach and Head of Coach Development and Methodology with the Royal Belgium FA. Tickets, early bird tickets as this goes out, are still available for that event. Also, we've got another event coming up in Yorkshire at Leeds United on Tuesday the 28th of February, 6-9 p.m. We are going to be at Ellen Road four presenters on this one all leads coaches we've got academy performance manager adam care head uh, fitness coach and performance analyst pierre barrio we've got head of academy uh, head of academy physical development george bell and also head of sports science tom robinson as well tickets for that event are available as well so if you want tickets to any of our events make sure you head over to footballfitfed.com and click the network meetings tab at the top um, and that will take you to the events and all the tickets are available there. Also, thank you to everybody that's recently left us a review. We're now up to 70 reviews over on Apple, which I really appreciate. I wanna push that to 100 as soon as possible. So if you've not already left us a review, please head over, click the five stars and just leave us a short comment. Um, maybe some of the people that you've enjoyed listening to the most or most uh, topics you've enjoyed the most, I really would appreciate it. They're also over on Spotify. It's even easier on Spotify. We've only got 42 reviews on there and I know there's quite a lot of people that listen on Spotify. So if you are listening, click the star button, the five stars. You can't leave a written review on there. So it literally takes two seconds. That's 42 at the moment. Again, I want to try and get that to 100 as soon as possible. So I really would appreciate you doing that for us. Now the podcast would not run in this form without our sponsors. So I wanna say a massive thank you to them. First of all, Hydro. Have you ever tried blood flow restriction for recovery? Hydro have developed the world's first BFR wearable, unlocking the recovery benefits of BFR to support athletes. BFR is no longer just for one-to-one -one physio or rehab. Hydro allows teams to use this safe and scalable sports BFR device post-exercise to dramatically enhance recovery. Whether in the changing room post-game, during away game travel, in the hotel or at home, Hydro has created a simple and effective tool that allows BFR to be delivered to athletes and squads simultaneously, safely and more conveniently than ever before. So check them out, 
on social media at Hytro, or you can visit the website at hytro.com, or email Warren, that's Warren Bradley, on warren at hytro.com to find out how Hytro BFR can give your athletes a competitive edge. Also, a massive thank you to Rezzel, our sponsors doing some brilliant work in the world of VR, and I hope you enjoy episode 224 with the sports scientist at Val Performance, Liam Connor. Rezzel is the world's number one virtual reality sports trainer. Whatever your team, your sport, your ability, improve your game and train like a pro. Rezzle, rezzle. Reactions, performance, accuracy, stamina, resilience. Train at home in the Rezzel Sports and Fitness VR Training Arena. Search Rezzel, R-E-Z-Z-I-L. The world's number one virtual reality sports trainer. Available now on MetaQuest. Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 224. I'm delighted to be joined on the podcast today by Liam Connor. Liam, how are we doing? Yeah, really well, thanks, mate. Thanks for having me here today. No problem, mate. No problem. I know you've had a quite a busy morning. Um, so I appreciate you freeing up a little bit of time for me and jumping on here. Yeah, no problem at all. Always, always busy in the world of sport, isn't it? It is, it is. But we, we like nothing else, don't we? We like to keep ourselves busy. That's why we do it. <laughs> 100%, mate, 100%. Liam, I always start the podcast in the same place, in the same way. So can we start on you and your career? Can you take us back and give us a bit of a story on where you've been and what you've been up to? Yeah, so um, it's been a bit of a, a random journey at times. So uh, I started out at St. Mary's studying sports rehab. Um, so did my three-year undergrad in that and graduated um, f- from that. Once I graduated, I kind of wasn't 100% sure where I was going to go. I was still kind of keen on be- being a, a therapist. Um, so I'd done some private work, uh, worked across. I actually went out to Singapore for a little bit, did a bit, a bit of work out there, um, and then got offered an opportunity a bit out of the blue to come back to St. Mary's and work in the biomechanics lab. So I came back and, and, and worked within that kind of setting for a year, and ended up studying my master's in sports psychology. Um, so I'd always had an interest in psychology and the way it, the role it plays in rehab and in coaching. Um, so did that for for just over a year before then being offered my kind of first professional opportunity, um, where I went over to Northampton Town and was in um, a rehab strength and conditioning role there that surfaced across um, first team and academy. So kind of mainly with the 18s and the first team, but then looking after some of the younger lads in the evenings. Um, alongside that, I studied my master's in SNC. And then, kind of unfortunate, at the end of my first season, we got relegated, last one in, first one out syndrome. So, kind of got made redundant and didn't really have an idea where I was going to go from there. Um, and then got thrown in at the deep end and kind of got offered an opportunity to go to Sutton Tennis Academy um, as head of physical development, a, a, a sport I'd never worked in before. Um, so kind of really got thrown in the deep end and I think that's where my learning really started working in a different sport, working with different coaches I was very familiar in football but this was kind of a bit of a curveball um, and then from there I've kind of explored a lot of different sports so I moved from there to Hertfordshire University where I led that Talented Athlete Scholarship Scheme Programme and worked probably in the space of two and a bit years with over kind of 25 different sports, range of different athletes from university sport level all the way up to kind of um, TAS and Olympic sport level so that was a real good opportunity, really good learning curve, and got to work with some really good coaches there. Went back into football after that and spent some time at AFC Wimbledon, 
Um, so went in as the academy physical performance lead um, and was responsible for kind of building our athletic development program. I uh, was there for probably just over a, a year and a bit. Um, started working for Vald as a sports scientist, um, which is where I, I work now. Uh, and then I do some strategic lead stuff alongside that with um, GB Badminton through DIS. So looking at kind of setting up some uh, systems and processes in place to, to allow that physical program to thrive moving forward. That kind of brings us to where we are today. Awesome, mate. Awesome. And that's obviously where we came in contact through through Vald and the work that you're doing at the moment, which I'm, we'll get into in a little bit. But I wanted to ask, so you obviously starting out in football, but then moving in, transitioning into other sports. And it's interesting you mentioned there about being tested or progressing as a coach the most when you moved into a different sport. What were some of the biggest lessons that you took away from working in different sports and then going back into football? I think for me, one of the biggest things... I'll, um, especially moving into tennis originally was around the individual. Um, I, th I think in football, because of the nature of the sport, because of the nature of the week, we end up very much focusing our intentions at a team level. What's the yeah. team doing? What's the team structure? What's the team's gym programme? Um, moving into a sport where you're essentially working with individuals, with individual coaches who still train in elements as a squad, but actually like, if you're not giving them that required attention, they're very quickly going to go and find someone else to do it for them or, or problems arise. So I think my very first big learning was really understanding the need of the individual and programming accordingly to that. And I think that then tied back into kind of where my passion for testing and diagnostics started to, to come into play because around understanding the needs of that individual is around understanding exactly where they are um, and being able to then assess their program needs accordingly. So rather than just necessarily programming everyone generically, we, we can get an understanding, does it power does this athlete need more power? Does it do they need more strength? Actually, is that injury occurring because of an imbalance here and we can start to program more more individually? Um so kind of going back into to the football environment and then carrying on into my roles now, I'm very keen on although we have to have that kind of holistic level structure. Within that, do we have individual differences and are we able to tailor our programs effectively for, for the player, not just the sport? And again, does that allow it to be progressive over time? So I think at times when I was probably first in sport, it was very maintenance focused, very schedule focused. Oh, what are we doing from week to week to allow us to be okay for Saturday? But actually, do we counter for the fact that in that squad, especially in a first team squad, we could have a 21, 22-year-old that's still developing and then a 35-year-old that's kind of at the end of their career and how different their programmes may need to be. Um, so, yeah, I think that was probably my biggest. And then just learning to work with coaches. When I first went into tennis, I didn't fully appreciate how to work with some coaches that I didn't necessarily agree with. I'd come from an environment that I was very familiar with. I thought very similar to the, to the coaches because I was from that background. But going into a different environment where actually we're very different backgrounds very different people how do I learn to communicate how do I learn what they want and actually learn to adapt myself to, to that and I'm guessing you you obviously mentioned the interest in psychology that's where some of that's going to come in as well I'm guessing yeah definitely like I know it's a very common saying but the best program is only good if people do it the best relationships only work if people are on board with them so I had a real keen interest in understanding one kind of organizational and culture so how do we get people to, to buy into what we're trying to do? Um, but there was also a big part of it around coaching and the effects of coaching, learning, feedback, 
actually how much feedback is good for for someone to learn a skill over time. So when we're talking about kind of coaching speed, agility, there's a real kind of actual skill acquisition part of that rather than just a, a strength and conditioning component. Yeah. Um, that was really interesting and something that I learned a lot on my my site masters that I still try and apply today and um, probably shifting more into yeah organizational psychology and how to impact performance programs but yeah it's interesting brilliant mate. that's awesome and then what about in the current role with GB badminton as well I'm not sure did we mention that I think we did you mentioned it but that that is one one of your roles at the moment and um, what about reflections from working with those athletes compared to your time in football as well? So they, it's interesting. They are a lot more independent in nature. Um, so we're very much able to program individually and people will crack on in their own times as opposed to when I was in football, I suppose, especially at the academy level, there's a little bit more need for guidance and support. Uh, getting players in the gym is difficult. So probably some of the bigger challenges we have in our current environment is around too much rather than too little. So actually I'm trying to encourage players to be smarter in the way they train rather than just thinking they need to be in the gym battering every day. Yeah. Um, that's probably one of the biggest thing. And then kind of with the way my role works, not being fully on site um, around having real good systems and processes in places for one monitoring players and then feeding back to players and relating it back to the sport um, and, and understanding I suppose one of the real big differences, and we do we do do it in football around positional differences, but we also massively have different game styles. So you could have two players, so in a in a doubles pair that actually have two different pairs have completely different game styles. And I think it's something we do less well in football. Like different manager comes in, what's the different game style? What does that mean for physical development? And how yeah. much do we actually consider that and change? Like, are we if just as an example, like if we're playing back to front quicker, we're probably going to need players that can change direction quicker and sprint further and faster versus a, a team that's going to play a little bit more tick attack or tighter football. What are the requirements for that? And then what are the requirements out of that for the individual different positions? What's the difference between a fullback playing 3 5 2 versus playing 4 4 2? Do we really think about the key demands of that sport and dig deeper into actually what the physical attributes that align to that? So a big part of it is delving deeper into understanding the real key demands and comparing that to what the best of the best do rather than being a little bit more generic, I suppose. Brilliant. Yeah. And then with, I'm sure a lot of the listeners will be interested in this. I wanted to dive into some of the testing and monitoring um, that's out there and also get your thoughts on it. So if we've got coaches listening and they're thinking there's so many options of monitoring and testing to do now, how do we decide what to do? And we'll, we'll get into the frequency and things like that in a little bit. But in terms of what tests to use, what would your advice be to them? I'm not expecting you to tell them to what test exactly because you, the context is key. But how would you, what would your thought process be around that? Yeah, so for, this is a common thing we get asked a lot. And what I would always come back to is before deciding what test you want to do and then probably going even deeper to that and an even bigger minefield, what metrics is reverse engineering to what you're looking to achieve um and that goes back to what i was saying about understanding the sport understanding the position understand what you're trying to change so what you test may differ from block to block time in season depending on what you're really trying to achieve um so kind of going back to uh, applying to tennis and badminton we know quite well that actually peak power 
in a jump is really kind of intuitive to certain parts of performance. So that's something we're going to test over time. Um, and understanding how metrics relate or how things relate. So um, being a court that doesn't really cover much more than five or 10 metres, we don't really need to do much speed testing because we know that actually it's highly correlated to, to jump performance. But I wouldn't get real good data around someone's ability to sprint a max velocity within that. So if you have real good clarity of what you're looking for, um, so again, we look a lot at asymmetries. So we don't do much bilateral testing because actually we have a sport that is massively asymmetrical, same as basketball. Um, so if we was looking at traditional, and this is the other big thing is actually collecting your own information and working off of that. So sometimes I think people bring in technology, bring in force plates, and they go, oh, what's normative data? Or what can I compare it to out, out in the literature? rather than taking a bit of time to collect their own information and then judge off that. I think we try and act too far sometimes. Yeah. So actually spend a bit of time collecting maybe a bit more than you need, but not looking to do too much of it. And then you can start to dig in deeper and go, actually we're seeing relationships here and here, and this is what we're going to hang our hat on and test over time. So once you know clearly what you're looking for. So again, if I was going into a strength block, I would be looking at testing more isometric in nature because I'm going to get a, a peak force metric. Um, whereas if I was going into a power block, I may be looking to shift that to more of a, a, a jump base metric and something that's going to give me more power related numbers. So, it, so it's not necessarily a, this, this ticks every box and it, understanding what you're looking at for bilateral jumps are going to give me real indicators of whole system performance whereas unilateral jumps are probably going to give me some more information around potential injury risk or potential strategy to achieve those. So to, to go back to deciding on a metric, we have to really have clarity on what we're trying to achieve and the intended outcome of what that test is being conducted for. And I'd, I'd say this is something I see quite a lot is people test for the sake of testing rather than testing for the sake of what the test is designed to achieve. Mm. Um, it's almost like we have to be testing, so we do it, but there's no pre-thought process to what is the intended outcome and what, why am I feeding that back or why am I using it? Is it informing my programming? Am I giving it back to the athlete to inform them and where they are in relation to the, to the group? Am I using it for the coach to make a decision off, but is it an effective decision being made off the right number? Um, so there's so many different tests, as kind of you and I'm sure the listeners are aware. It's not about overcomplicating it don't try and do everything it's about being really intent and really structured in what you're trying to achieve with that yeah no, that's great and obviously there's a lot of factors that go into that isn't there with time of season you've touched on training block but and you've already spoke about game models time of season we see how much managers change as well across the season so there might be a new playing style coming in mid-season and the calendar the fixtures there's so much that goes into that but a lot of that just comes out of the same thing, doesn't it? Having that rationale, having that solid thought process behind why you're doing it. Yeah, no, definitely. And I suppose you've got the difference between are we testing pre-season? Are we testing monitoring in season? Because again, that's, that's a different ballgame altogether. We have testing, we have monitoring. And yeah. I, I talk more about diagnostics. So we, we monitor and then we diagnose. So... Um, monitoring is around tracking physical performance over time. So for me, testing pre-season, mid-season and end of season doesn't really tell me much. 
and it doesn't really give me much actionable information on. Whereas if I've got guys jumping semi-frequently every six weeks, it will tell me the impact of a block on that metric. Yeah. If I've got people testing weekly, it will tell me the effect of the week before on physical kind of performance or or readiness to train. Um, so again, that it, it comes out to that thought process on how often you want to schedule it. So we might look at tests weekly to say, okay, are they fit to train? Are they ready to train? And use that as a decision-making model weekly. But we wouldn't necessarily be looking at the same metrics that we would then look block to block. Whereas we may then look at something more either strength related or power related to say, has that block had an impact on performance or has that period of fixture congestion had an effect negatively? So therefore actually we have to re-enter into a physical block. Um, So that's kind of testing and monitoring. So for me, I think frequency is probably not, I, I would test more frequently than less frequently, but it's about understanding what to look at and when. So you're not going to look at everything all the time. Otherwise, you're just going to get paralysis by analysis and almost looking to to just dig yourself out. And then you've got the diagnostics, which is so less hypothetically, someone has a poor jump or a poor single leg jump. That doesn't tell the story. That mm. just tells the title. Okay, this person can't do that. So what are we then doing to dig down the levels? And this is really applicable, I think, to like rehab cases. So, okay, someone can't jump still because they got they got asymmetry left or right. Okay, well, let's go and look at the the more muscular level through maybe a force frame and go, well, what are the the tissue tolerances there? So actually that if we find that they're equally strong on both sides, but they still jump asymmetrically, we've probably got more of a skill or a psycho issue. It's not actually a, a physical issue. Um, and that's the same as going from bilateral to unilateral. The, the the breadth of testing I do builds up more information to to tell me a story. I think one thing I commonly get asked and get seen is like, what does this test mean? Or or what does this one result mean? And, and in context of its own, it doesn't tell me anything because I, I can't look at it's It's like an ultrasound. I can look at it, but without some context around it, I, I'm not going to know actually what the story is and what, what that means. So, I would then be looking to, and some people have done it well around building kind of tiered levels of diagnostics. So picking three things at a higher level, if people fall below it, digging deeper into the areas that maybe underpin them. And that can be on the same for metrics. Like if we look at what metrics actually are, they're normally underpinned by two or more other metrics. So some people will talk about trying to improve impulse, but what actually contributes to impulse? So if impulse is down, why is it down? Which which of the contributing factors is that? And then you dig down to a surface level of something that can actually be changed. Mm. And then you go, right, I'm targeting that. Come back in six weeks. Has that changed? Has that changed up the chain? What's the impact of that? Yeah, no, that's great. That frequency is obviously something we're going to bring up um, because I suppose that you've touched about paralysis by analysis that you, you get you test too often essentially and you, you end up with too much data don't you but then at the same time probably I suppose more traditionally in football to a point is that you did your pre-season you might have done an in-season at some point and a, and a sort of end of season and like you said before there's so much that goes on within that time isn't there that that isn't necessarily telling us too much yeah like you can test frequently it's around understanding and having a, a system or a decided process in place for what you're going to look at. Um, so I wouldn't test everything all the time, 
and I wouldn't look at everything all the time, as I kind of say. I, I might test the same test every week, but, but every six weeks look at a different metric to what I'm looking to weekly. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I just think that model of pre-season, mid-season, end of season doesn't tell me anything that I don't think we probably all already know. They're going yeah. to come back a little bit down. They're probably going to build up through pre-season, get a bit better, get to mid-season around Christmas. They're probably going to be down because they're all fatigued. And at the end of the season, we're probably going to be somewhere around where we were at the start of the season, maybe a bit below. <laughs> like, what, what is that actually telling me to affect performance? Yeah. Like, it, all it does is, at best we go at the start of the season, here's everyone compared to each other. But again, that doesn't tell me anything about game style, game model, individual athlete development. So it, it's a bit, of, to me, of an outdated concept. Um, and I think we could adjust that model to actually go... Well, the one thing we do want to look at at the start of the season is, and it may be 30-15, so going away from our tech, but like fitness, because fitness is important for that pre-season block. So are they fit? Who's really unfit? Because they're probably going to need to do extra. Who's really fit? Because they're probably going to be okay to handle a bit more demand. And then I'm I'm making decisions off of it. So the players who are fit enough to start going to fixtures, I can use that. The players who aren't need to do top-ups. But then I might park that because I'm, I probably know that that's going to maintain throughout the season due to the amount of football they're playing. Um, and may then shift to, okay, we're going into a strength development block. What are my strength numbers? I'm going to track that over a period of time. Um, so I don't think you can necessarily, you can overtest 100%, but it's more if you're trying to overlook at certain metrics. Like a strength number isn't going to change day to day, week to week in with outside norms with fatigue. So I probably need to look into that on a semi-frequent basis based upon a program. Um, and then jump testing, again, it depends what I'm looking at it for. If I'm looking at it to see if it's had a physical improvement, I need a bigger space of time. If I'm looking at it to assess fatigue, am I looking at that over the right space of time? And am I looking at the right thing within that? Um, because we know jump height probably isn't always fully sensitive. So am I looking at the right thing within that to, to, to make the decision on the reason I'm using it on that day or at that point in the season? I mentioned it at the start of the podcast, but I just want to reiterate that the presentations from our networking events, we do get this question quite a lot. If you can't make it to the event, so if it's not in your region or maybe not you're not even in the UK, you can access the recordings from presentations via our online platform, our online community. So it's got a number of different presentations on there already, as well as the upcoming events presentations, including Evolutions of Science in Football by Tony Strudwick, Who Wants to Be a High Performer by Damien Hughes, the co-host of the High Performance Podcast. We've got Values of a Generalist Approach by Chris Neville and a number of different presentations on there as well. So if you're not already a member, the good news is you can get one month free by going to footballfitfed.com. Click the community tab and sign yourself up there and it'll give you a free month, a free 30 days to see what it's all about. After that 30 days, it is only £4.99 per month going forward. You do get access to our members' WhatsApp group and full access to all the content that's, that's available on the community as well. So make sure you go and check it out. Footballfitfed.com. Click the community tab, sign yourself up there and join the community. Here's part two of the podcast with Liam Connor. And on that point of monitoring, I know you're not going to necessarily be able to give me a number, but... If people were wondering like, okay, well, I've got these ideas of I want to run this for this certain block, would you say there's a, there's a range of tests? So you'd stay within, I don't know, three to five 
tests throughout that period that you're actually going to use to monitor and you wouldn't necessarily go past that? Or do, do you think that just completely depends on the on the circumstance and situation? Yeah, I, my first thing on that would be it massively depends on logistics. If I've got a department of 25 staff, I can do a lot more than if I'm a one-man band or a two-man band kind yeah. of doing everything on my own. So I wouldn't set myself up to fail. I would set myself up to succeed. So if I know it's just me, I'm probably looking at one metric. And I I know I can handle it. I know what I'm looking for. I know I'm probably missing a world of information, but I'm not going to be able to do that effectively. And I'm either going to miss the ball. It's not going to get used. Then you start getting players going, oh, well, why are we doing this? You never feed it back to us. Yeah. So I've like wellness data in the past. Oh, we fill this form out every morning. What do we, what's done with it? Well, nothing because I don't have time because I'm in, in meetings with the coaches and I'm warming you guys up. By the time I get to look at it, it's 7 p.m. at night and it's pointless. Mm-hmm. So having a real reason, stick to the constraints of your environment and do, do something well and do it effectively. So data is, is good when it's used well. Data is almost negative, can be negative if it's used poorly. Um, so yeah like pick pick based on your environment what you can handle for me I've always found like probably free is a good region to be in because I can probably build up a good enough picture from that and then if I need to I can go down my diagnostic level Um, so yeah that's so for context that's what we do weekly Um, that's what the guys at Badminton do so they jump they do an ISO weekly and they do a 10-5 weekly Um, and we don't look at all of that all the time but what we've got then is a historic battery of data that will allow us to tell trends. Yeah. Um, and especially with so the amount of tournaments these guys do, so they travel probably every other week. So what it, what we may even just use that for is at the end of a year, we'll look back and go, what are the impacts of travel and that? So we may not even use it for a year, but we know the intended outcome of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I don't know if that fully answers your question. But... No, no, it does definitely. And, and this gets to, I suppose, the most important part about it, which is what you do with that data and and also how you feed it back. Because you said before about um, testing players, monitoring players and not actually giving anything back to them. So what would be your advice to coaches in terms of effectively using what, if they've decided what they're going to collect, they're going all in on whatever it is, but now how do we really utilise it and feed it back in the right way? Yeah, so... Being able to make a clear link between what you're testing and how it is affecting either a decision around the athlete or the athlete's performance, for me, is the first one. So create create a game model. So um, tennis do it quite well. Like jump relates to serve. Yeah. Single strength relates to movement around the court. So by being able to pin it to a certain thing that is tangible to the athlete, I then get buy-in. Okay, I know if I improve that, brilliant, I'm going to get better here in my game. So then you can start to go, well, this player is weak in this area of his game, we're going to improve him here. Um, within that, I suppose, having targets and levels is, is really important. And being specific and realistic in those. So again, people go and compare to the norms or go and compare to the literature, but where was that data taken from? How comparable is it? Spend a bit of time developing your own. Test your best players and get an idea of where they're at and set them as benchmarks rather than saying this is what a paper from 2001 said and actually it's not very comparable because at least that way you can kind of have that tangible. Um, set targets 
and as opposed to just giving numbers. So you're here, we want you to be here and make them realistic. Um, you can also piggyback onto that, like here's a utopia. So for the style of player you are, you're currently here in this block, we expect you to get to here, but in the space of maybe a year to two to be the best player you can for your style, we want you to be here. So it, it paints that roadmap. Um, so, I, and again, I suppose from my time in individual sports, make it about the individual. Once you start going and comparing two players to each other, I think it becomes a very difficult discussion because not all players are the same. Not all players play the same way. So unless you're being really specific in, we feel like you're going to be very similar to him in the way you play. So we want you to start to develop a physical profile similar to that. So that's why we're heading down here. If you just say, oh, the, this player is here and he's over there, but one's a striker, one's a midfielder, like I'm comparing apples and oranges. So yeah. that that whole typical, even like we do with GPS data, let's just throw out a report from a session and we look at who run the most and who sprinted the fastest. And then everyone who's not top of either of them gets digged out. And, yeah. it's like, I, I, and I worked with a coach, really good coach. Um, I won't say names, we probably someone about to work out who we were talking about, but we was talking about GPS one day and we was talking about kind of, yeah, distance covered. And he went, yeah, but it doesn't really mean much because player who scores top in all of our distance covered scores would probably be more effective if he just stood still for half the game. And like, yeah. it, it just really summarised the point that the numbers don't necessarily tell the story. So mm. yeah, great. He's top of distance covered, but he's completely ineffective in the game. So don't set him as a benchmark because he's not necessarily the best benchmark there is. And it's just, it, it was really good to hear a coach say that because it shows that you're getting kind of understanding on it's not just the number, it's the meaning behind it. Um, so yeah, no, 100%. Do you think there's anything, Liam, that we when I know what like you came to our event, and as soon as we said who you were working with and your experiences, all coaches were like on to you straight away, wanting to ask questions. Um, what are the common questions? Is there anything there that we've probably not covered that coaches tend to ask, or do you feel like we've covered the majority of stuff that they'd ask you? The most common question is probably that like what tests should I be doing um so like if we get asked that we would just go into more exploration to try and help guide that decision yeah um, so yeah like we don't have I suppose the common questions don't have common answers because the answers are very specific to the, to the regions um we, we do get questions around metrics but that's a minefield to to, to discuss and we're very careful around not saying hang your hat here, hang your hat there, because again, with data, as with research, it's not about this is the right answer. It's about this is the information that that can provide. Now that may be the right answer for you, but it doesn't mean that it's the right answer for everyone. And it may not be the right answer for you. So, um, and what what I think is fantastic about like the force plates and stuff like that is it collects everything. So, mm -hmm. I, I may at a minute be hanging my hat on X metric and then six months down the line, I look back and go, well, actually that was a waste of time, but Y metric might be really important. And I can just go back and look at Y for the whole period of time I've been collecting data. So again, just because there is a 180 odd metrics, I don't need to be looking at them all, all the time. Pick ones, see how they work, see how they relate with your population and with your guys and then reassess. And like that feedback loop, we, we talk about with programs, like we, we set out for an aim at the start, we test, was it successful? Same with data, like look back and 
don't just do the same thing we've been doing for 10, 15 years, adapt and move our process and be able to explain why we're doing that. Oh, actually, we're shifting from jump height to peak power because like just being able to rationalize that decision making. So, yeah, probably that is the most common question. Um, and then probably, again, how frequently should I be testing, which is underpinned by, again, like how sensitive is what you're looking to test. Um, I suppose another common one is like, what's a, a significant change or what's a significant improvement, significant yeah. asymmetry. Um, and again, just like I'd be careful with normative data. So the, probably the most successful way to tell if you've got an effective change is sampling your data over time and doing some meaningful worthwhile change stuff and small smallest worthwhile change. And there's some good papers out there from people who are a lot smarter than I am around how to effectively calculate that. But what that allows you to do is for your sample and for your population, know what effective change is, because it may be completely different from mine. It may be completely different to even your 18s. Your 23s and 18s may have different kind of what one's older, they're going to have less variation. So I think coming back to don't worry about the norms, don't worry, because again, with norms, so we talk about asymmetries, 10%. Is is the the metric that gets thrown around, and there's good research to support that. So I'm not I'm not here to to dig that out, but in certain populations, so again, racket sports, very single leg orientated, that probably going to be. And uh, I I went to a Vald event way back when when I was at St Mary's, and uh, a guy from the basketball presented this. That standard asymmetries are around ten to fifteen percent to the dominant side. So if I was rehabbing someone and they were symmetrical well actually they're probably not they're for what they need to be able to do and what their sport demands are they're probably still asymmetrical yeah um, or, or that off where they should be so they're not asymmetrical in nature but they need to be asymmetrical to be effective um so if we were just to go off general literature general cohort we'd say oh yeah we're, they're within 10 percent but if it's the if the dominant side is the injured side and they're within ten percent, but they should be ten percent stronger on that side, they're probably twenty percent off where they need to be. Yeah. Um, and it's only by understanding your population and your data really well can you make them decisions. Um, and the only way you can understand that information and know that about your population is to collect data over time and then retrospectively assess it. Um, and Dan Howes kind of talks about it, and he he he's helped me with it is understanding slow and fast data. What can we use now? what can we use kind of in a year's time to ret retrospectively assess our program and make decisions about the coming season. Um, I think we can be guilty of that. We get to the end of the season, we just park everything and can come back and do the same thing we did last year. Mm -hmm. um, so actually are we really cyclical in nature in kind of learning and developing our systems and processes? Brilliant, mate. Liam, we'll wrap things up with, um, we have some quick fire questions that we finish the podcast with. So I'm gonna Thank throw you. I'm gonna throw some of these at you. I've not I've not given you the heads up on these. So, um, but they're easy. They're easy questions. You mentioned a few names already. Who have been some of the biggest influences you think on your career so far? Um, so I've just mentioned Dan. Um, I've done a lot lot of work with Dan. Um, he's been really effective with yeah, consolidating my thought processes, systems processes, um, and just being a support network for me. Um, Prior to that, um, Tom Ruska, who was at the EIS, um, he's now working uh, with Alex Wolf. They've got kind of their own SMC education stuff. He was fantastic for me in really understanding 
the depth of programming, clarity on of objective outcome, what it takes to actually build effective programs. And he worked with me probably over a space of kind of two years in around COVID. Um, and that was super powerful. Um, and then probably most recently, um, Paul Stretch, who um, he was GB Hockey um, and then is now at the um, performance rehab at the IOU. Um, he's been really effective since I've kind of moved into my new role around just understanding, again, probably more the application of different things in sporting context, but then three really stand out for me as coaches. Um, I suppose a little side chat, this is probably cheating because it's four, but I spent a lot of time when I was at Hearts with Jack Tyler, who's JT Performance, and then Charlie, who kind of delivers the programme now at GB Badminton. And that three, we spent a lot of time working together and had different strengths. And I feel like we all developed a lot in that period of time that was really useful. So, yeah, two very good coaches that I learned a lot from. Awesome, mate. What would you say your biggest strength is as a practitioner? Um, the ability to see the bigger picture. So I there's a lot better coaches in the day-to-day coaching, programming, but the ability to come back to what we really here for, whether it be Saturday to Saturday, four years to four years, like what, what are we really trying to achieve and like having that clarity and then just referencing back to that probably. Um, and I suppose also being willing to just like challenge the status quo. Super important. That's awesome. If you were to speak to a younger Liam and give some career advice, what would the top bit of career advice be? Oh, that's a good one. Um, find any way possible to get around good coaches earlier in my career and just learn by osmosis. Um, yeah, like I said, I learned so much in two years being surrounded by two very good coaches day to day. I think if I'd got myself, whether it be volunteering um, or just kind of what could I offer to them earlier on around other coaches and just learning, watching and doing more like that, you learn way more by being at the coalface than kind of anything else. So, yeah, just learn by osmosis. Awesome. Last one, mate. I'm sure you there's a lot that you're learning day-to-day with conversations that you're having with coaches, but your approach to CPD, how do you go about that now? Continual development, not necessarily courses to a point, but how are you continually developing as a, a practitioner? I'm very specific now. So whether it be I have a, a need um i will find the person or the course or the right environment to develop that need um so if it's data i will go and find someone who's very good with data um if it was communication skills go and find someone who's very good with that if it was leadership go and find someone who's very good at that um earlier in my career it was a lot more learn as much about everything as you can um but i'm now yeah find either the things that i want to be super strengths at or find the stuff that's holding me back and go and develop them. And do you do that analysis yourself? So if you, you look at it yourself and think, I need to develop on this area, or do you get that feedback from someone else? Um, both, I would say. So you have to have good self-awareness. You have to be willing to reflect honestly on where you're at, where your gaps are. Um, but then I would say surround yourself with people who are also going to be honest in that, um, yeah. whether that be a partner that's going to be honest in what your strengths and weaknesses are. They're always happy to tell you. Um, <laughs> like really good coaches or really good mentors that can see your gaps and just uh, 
willing to have candid conversations with you. Um, but don't don't be afraid to ask questions. Like I think it comes back to athletes and coaches. If you show vulnerability, get buy-in. Well, what can I be better at? Okay, actually, I think you could be better at the way you talk to us about our data. Okay, brilliant. I'm gonna go. Or actually, the way you visualize it for us is isn't great. We can't really see it effectively. All right, fine. Let's go and learn how to visualize data better. Just being willing to to put yourself out and put your head up there and go. Well, how can I be better for you? Brilliant, mate. Top information in there, Liam. I appreciate you doing that. I'm sure there's probably a few people that might want to reach out and maybe have more specific questions from what we've actually covered. Where would you direct them? Um, so probably two best places would be LinkedIn and probably most commonly on there or Twitter. Um, so I don't actually know my handle off the top of my head, but if I give it to I'll you... Post it, yeah. I'll post it, yeah. Um, but yeah, so probably LinkedIn, connect with me, drop me a message on there. I'll always respond to that. Um, and then if not Twitter, um, I don't really post much, but I'll, I'll respond to any comments and follow some things out. Perfect, mate. Yeah, I'll post those in the show notes for anyone that wants them. But mate, I appreciate you giving up the time coming on, and some, being some great stuff covered there. I'm sure a lot of people took a lot away from that. So thanks for coming on. No, perfect, mate. I appreciate you having me on. It's a good opportunity to discuss. And I'm always happy to chat and discuss anything further with anyone. So. Hopefully it's been at least informative somewhere along the lines. Definitely. Thanks, Liam. Brilliant. Cheers, Ben. Thank you for listening to episode 224. And a big thank you to Liam for coming on and giving up his time. Go and give him a follow. You can link up with him on LinkedIn, just searching his name, but also over on Twitter, L Connor Coaching over on Twitter. Um, in terms of takeaways on this one, I think it's great to sort of get some details around what coaches want to hear around the Valve kit. Um, and one big takeaway, I think, from that is collecting your own data. I know a lot of coaches will look to, uh, to get data from other clubs or other sources, but a lot can be collected within your club as well. I know that comes down to how many pairs of hands you've got sometimes, but I think that is a, a message to take away from the podcast with Liam. Make sure you collect him because um, you never know where that's going to be useful in the future. Also, the impact of game style and the impact of phase of season that Liam spoke about too, it might change where you're focusing um, in terms of data throughout a season, depending on what sort of thing you're looking at monitoring at a certain time. And keep that in mind, you've got that rationale behind it, you know why you're collecting something at a certain time for a certain reason. So have that clear plan in your head. Um, and then also he talked about create, creating a utopia for players. So that's a, an aspirational way of thinking, getting players to work towards something and creating that picture in their mind, a bit of visualization with players on where they're trying to get to. And they then you can then input the steps necessarily to get them there or, or what you think are necessary to get them there. But creating that long-term vision for players can be really important as well. So some really good stuff from Leon in, in the podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. Like I mentioned at the start, please leave us a review. We've had some more reviews coming in recently and I really appreciate every single one of them. So if you're on Apple, click the five stars and leave us a short comment. If you're on Spotify, it's even easier. It takes you two seconds. Just click the five stars for us. I really would appreciate it. And it also helps the growth of the podcast, getting some more coaches' ears, but also for future guests as well. Um, we do have some people asking how many listeners and followers we have. So it's going to attract some big guests coming in the future as well. So please give us that little bit of support. And also talking of support, 
make sure you go and check out our sponsors and the work that they're doing. Hytro, doing some great work in BFR, blood flow restriction training. Um, I know they've got some really exciting stuff coming this year as well. So go and check them out on socials at Hytro, hytro.com. Um, has got all the information for Hytro and also Rezzle, doing some brilliant work in VR, virtual reality, um, in rehab and testing. They've got some really cool stuff coming. So make sure you go and check them out at Rezzle over on socials and Rezzle.com to get more information. Thank you again for listening to the podcast and I will speak to you again next week in episode 225.